You're listening to the Citrus Church Podcast. Now, here's the message. But the story I want to think about today is this story here and, and how, how small beginnings can end up having a huge impact. And when I think about that particular story, I think about this book here, and it's, it's called The New Creation, John Wesley's Theology for Today. The cover does nothing for me. <laughs> and this wasn't even a book that I picked out. In fact, it was a book I wasn't even really interested in reading. Uh, I was assigned to read this book in seminary, and the title made me think it was going to be about some kind of end times rapture type story that just didn't really relate for me. And it wasn't really a big book. I think it's just over 200 pages. But what I didn't expect at the time was how much this book would shape my understanding of who God is and help me to find language for the way that I see God at work in me and in the world around me. I I just didn't expect this little book to have that big of an impact, right? But this book gave me language for faith. It, It helped me understand the analogy that I often use of how God's grace in your life and in my life is kind of like a house, and, and I've shared this several times, but the idea that it's like uh, we're out on a street in, at nighttime and we see a light on a door and it draws us to the door and then we meet God at the door and then we're kind of brought into the house of faith. And, and this book ended up being quoted in, in sermons and in my graduate paperwork and in my ordination paperwork more than I could have imagined. It, and if you told me when this book was assigned to me how big of an impact it would have, I would have thought you were crazy. Because nothing about this little book seemed to have that big of an impact. I mean, like, like look at this. I have got much bigger books. Books that are more well-known, books that would appear on more shelves. Like, like this is a book, right? And even more than the impact of all these books and all that they represent— The story today from our scripture is a reminder that we should never disregard a small beginning or a small start. A reminder that God can do so much with so little. And a reminder that the way God works in the world may begin small. It may not be big and showy and spectacular. But over time, God's work can change things and people and systems and dynamics. Uh, So, uh, I might recommend this book to you by Ted Runyon. It's a great one. Uh, But as we continue on in our sermon today, what I want to do is introduce to us a new sermon series that we're going to begin today called Upside Down. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at some of the short stories that Jesus told. This one today was two whole verses, right? The short stories that Jesus told that changed the world. And the stories that Jesus told helped his followers to understand what God was doing in the world. So the question I want you to think about today is, when has a small start or a humble beginning ended up making a huge long-term impact over time in your life? And think about how God is working in our lives and how perhaps the way that God began working in your life may not have seemed spectacular, but over time, God's grace has grown in your life and God's impact has grown. I want us to also think about how can we make small starts today that will have a lasting impact, not just in our lives, but in the world as we know it. 
So my hunch is, is that you've had the same experience too, where maybe a, a small book has made a big impact even more than something like this. And this is the principle that Jesus is trying to illustrate to us in this parable. So in our sermon series called Upside Down, we'll be looking at these kind of stories, and they're called parables. Now, I'm sure you've heard that word before, but a parable is a short, simple story that was used by Jesus often and frequently. And it was Jesus' way of showing how the kingdom of God was at work. And now we think of kingdom and God, we might think of a a magic kingdom or a a castle. And, And Jesus wasn't talking about castles and entertainment venues. The kingdom of God was language for Jesus saying, this is how God is working in the world. This is where God is showing up and showing up with power and showing up even in humble ways. So these little stories were, were telling the people around a way of saying, this is how the world looks and operates, but this is how God works and operates. And what Jesus would do was say, this is what you have come to know and come to expect of the world, the systems, for better or for worse that you know, and turn the whole thing up on its head. And that's how God's kingdom works. And that was probably as baffling and confusing and exciting and unnerving then as it is now to us. And so what Jesus will do over these next couple of weeks in these stories is turn the normal operations of things upside down. We can see that in the Beatitudes in the fifth chapter of Matthew when Jesus over and over again says, you have heard it said, but I say to you, you have heard it said that the world or people or things or God operates this way, but I say to you, it's different than you expected or anticipated. Jesus has this way of just turning everything around and and flipping it upside down and changing the dynamic, and that's what we'll be looking at and talking about over the next couple of weeks. And so what Jesus does is he begins to offer a new vision of how the world will work and operate with God's reign and rule in the world. The thing about parables is that if Jesus just came out and said it, if he just came out and explained the truth, people would probably just either turn him off because it automatically disagreed with their current worldview, or they would just say, yeah, we'll we'll see. But what Jesus did by telling stories, and in this case by telling the story of of a mustard seed, was he captured their imagination It's the power of a story to draw us in and to listen. We want to know how it progresses. We want to know who the characters are. We want to know how it's going to climax and how it's going to resolve. We want to know the progression of the story. We want to know how it's going to end. And so by Jesus offering them a story, he was essentially offering them a small seed of thought that would be planted in their head. And perhaps as they went home and as they thought about that that night, as they laid in bed and We're thinking about how seeds work and how they grow into plants and how they provide a space for birds of the air. Perhaps allowing that story to take root in their minds would allow the truth of God to take root in their hearts, and they might begin thinking about things in the world different than they had before. Perhaps if they were turned off to God, they might begin to think differently. Or perhaps if they'd always felt excluded by the religious elite and by the powers of the day, they might say, well, maybe, maybe that's not the whole story. 
Maybe God's doing something different. <laughs> Maybe God knows who I am after all and cares about me. Right? So that's the power of the parable. The ability to let the walls down for truth to come in and something new to begin to take root. And just like we saw with the seeds that my kids help plant, a lot doesn't happen in a week. But give it a month or two, and all of a sudden something begins to happen. We actually noticed after we filmed that video, we didn't see it during the video, that the first new lima bean pods had began to, begun to grow on those plants. And those plants had probably been in the ground for two months. It, a reminder that growth takes time. It takes time. The thing about parables, and we'll see this over the next couple of weeks, is, like I said, they're kind of sneaky. They kind of sneak in when you least expect it and start to work in our hearts and our lives in ways that maybe we don't expect. And all of a sudden we realize, wait, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait. You're saying that's what God's like? And that's how they work for individuals. Uh, N.T. Wright, the great theologian, said this. Parables, then, aren't simply nice, friendly illustrations designed to help people get their minds around deep, abstract truth. The truth they speak of isn't abstract at all. It's what God is doing personally, bodily, in Jesus and his work, and what God will do through the death and resurrection. And it doesn't look like what most people were expecting. And I think you and I feel the same as those original audiences and those original hearers that Jesus encountered. We don't expect small things to make a big impact. We don't pay a lot of attention to small starts. We're used to paying attention to the big splash, right? The big excitement, the big launch, the big publicity, the, the thing that kind of makes the most noise grabs our attention. It's just who we are as people. And so it takes a challenge, it takes some shifting for us to be able to see the big splash, but to pay attention to the small and the small starts. Over the next couple of weeks, we'll look at these stories Jesus tells. For example, the passage right after this, another story, it's, it's one verse. Jesus talks about the impact of yeast. And, and of course, we realize that yeast is something that begins small and almost invisible, and when mixed in, it, it can't be seen. And yet can make a giant uh, production, right? A giant production of bread in time and with patience. We'll talk about a, a lost coin, which kind of seems pretty insignificant, or about a party and the way that Jesus throws a party versus how we might throw a party and who we would invite versus who Jesus invites. Then all of these stories will turn the world as we know it upside down. And that's the point. In fact, it's just like Jesus. So it's a reminder to us to never disregard a small start and to be careful of how dazzled we are by the big show, by the big production. So Proverbs for us are these small beginnings. And if you've seen a mustard seed, I, I hoped I had one at home. I didn't have one at home. Um, and so you probably realize that a mustard seed is not the smallest seed. It's actually a pretty good-sized seed, right? And it doesn't really grow into a tree. It's more of, a, of an overgrown bush, right? A, a shrub that has been unkept. And so the point here isn't literally Jesus saying, 
this is the smallest seed. That's not the point. Or it grows into a tree. That, that's not the point. The point here is it was a proverb for, proverb for the day also. When someone referenced the mustard seed back then, it was a way of saying something that is small and insignificant. And let's be honest, not many of us are growing mustard in our backyard, and I don't think many people back then were growing mustard in their fields. In fact, it was probably one of those things that you wouldn't want to get rid of if you had it because it was taken away from your more profitable crops. That's the point. That's something to think about. And that's Jesus' hope with these things. But we know that it's not the smallest seed, that it would grow into a bush. And what Jesus is saying to us is that the inconspicuous things, the things that we would overlook or want to remove, are the things that become mighty and worthwhile and valuable in God's eyes. And so Jesus is telling us that bigness will not be quantified as the world quantifies bigness or greatness. One of my greatest frustrations is when I'm working on something, whether it's uh, uh, fixing one of our bikes or, or, or tightening up a tool or something like that. And, and oftentimes I have to use an Allen wrench. You, you know an Allen wrench. It's got the hex head on it. And one of my greatest frustrations is when I search through all of my Allen wrenches only to realize that the, the bolt I'm working with is not metric, but it's standard. Or it's standard, but not metric. And so then I've got to go back and grab a different set of Allen wrenches. And that's frustrating to me, in part because why can't all these things be the same, right? Or why can't we have maybe a better standard for how we build things? But the real thing that's frustrating to me is this idea of, of a measuring with the wrong measurement. I'm trying to fix something with a standard wrench, and it calls for a metric. So I'm working with the wrong measurements altogether. And I think back then, people were also working with the wrong measurements. And so when Jesus shows up on the scene, he offers them a different way of measuring life and greatness and success and who's in and who's out. And it messes with people. And it messes with the systems of the day. And it challenges in really uncomfortable ways the religious elite who had power and authority and privilege in those days because Jesus shows up and says, we're not going to measure things that God doesn't measure things and people in that way, but in this way. And that's hard to get our heads around. It was hard then. It's hard now. Right? But these passages tell us that we're probably measuring things in the wrong way. And in fact, think of it this way. When Jesus first showed up on the scene, I mean, aside from the wise men, no one really paid much attention, right? The birth of Jesus is spectacular, and it's amazing, and it, it makes for a great reading in the Scriptures. But after that, it's like 13 years of obscurity before we hear from Jesus again, aside from maybe a run-in in the temple when uh, he gets lost or his parents get lost, whichever way you want to look at that. It would seem like it was a pretty small and insignificant start if this baby is the Savior of the world, right? Because it was assumed that God's kingdom, when it came, would come with power and with authority, that it would operate on the, on the political level. And, and that's why the rulers of the day were worried when Jesus was born, because they heard of a new king coming. And so 
it was expected by the, by the Jewish people that that's how God's reign would come in, that it would come in as a legitimate challenger to the Roman occupying forces. And when it doesn't, well, who is this? That can't be God. That's not how we expected God to show up. Jesus was brushed off in the beginning because his message wasn't big enough or showy enough, and it didn't do the things that people expected. It worked in a different way. This parable is an example. I mean, I mean, who wants a kingdom like a seed? Who wants to say, like, this is, this is our hope, a seed, right? But the fact is that big things come from small starts. Let me, let me take us back to the beginning with the Old Testament. And God says this to Abram, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name respected, and you will be a blessing. I mean, that sounds pretty great. That sounds like God is promising something big and significant, a great nation, a blessing from God, that Abram's name, which would later be changed to Abraham, would be respected and revered, and that he will be a blessing. In those days and in those times, you couldn't ask for more influence than exactly that. But that's verse 2. Let me show you what God's working with here with verse 1, right before this. The Lord said to Abram, before all these promises, leave your land, your family, your father's household for a land that I will show you. Okay, so pay attention to how this starts. Leave your land, which is your family's establishment, your place, right? Leave your family, all those people to whom you are connected, who help you have influence, and your father's household, so further removing himself, for a land that I will show you. And I feel like Abram might be like, well, what's the name of the land so I can, so I can check my map and put it into my GPS and make sure that I get there, right? And God's like, I got that. I'll take care of it. I'll show you. You don't need to know that right yet. And if I'm Abram, I'm thinking, if I have nothing to work with, God, how will I have a great nation and a great name and be respected among the other nations and countries of the day? But this is how God works. God is able to take Nothing and make something. God is able to take our lives and to do extraordinary things with it by faith. And that's what it meant for Abram too. John Wesley says that for Abram, this was a test of whether he could trust God further than he saw him. Could Abram trust God further than he saw him? I mean, if that's not a question for you and I, I don't know what is. Can we Trust God further than we can see God working? I mean, that's relevant right now in this time of quarantine and the coronavirus when we see cases going up and we don't know what comes next, but we know that what we want to come next, which is things reopening and going back to normal, can we trust God for what comes next? I mean, I think about the Black Lives Matter movement. Can we trust that the starts that have begun and the protests that have begun, that they can make the large-scale systematic change of racism in our country that we need? And this parable tells us that God is able to do so much more 
with so little. And that's why things like protest have the power to change. Because these seeds over time take root and grow into plants that make a difference. And so in time, we know that what would happen to Abram is that, in fact, as we saw in the passage, he would become a great nation, the nation of Israel, and that God's blessing would rest upon them and that their name would be respected and that they would end up being a blessing to others too. And when they got that right, they could see the faithfulness of God over generations and generations. The same thing happens in the New Testament when the Savior shows up as a baby and we realize uh, babies don't save. In fact, they kind of cost a lot, right? They tend to create more work than their ability to give back, right? But every one of us begins as a baby and, and in this case, when God shows up in the world, God begins as an infant, and Jesus continued that process by choosing kind of an odd collection of disciples, <laughs> right? Uh, people that we may not have listed on our top 10. Like, we're not collecting their rookie cards and saying, like, these are the ones who are going to make it in the big leagues. Like, these were, I hate to say, it, these were kind of the rejects by their, by their measurement in society. Because if they would have been scooped up as disciples by other rabbis, it would have happened by then, and they didn't. Jesus picks these small, unsuspecting seeds, and look what they grow into. We know the names of those disciples to this day. This is the Jesus way, a humble servant planting seeds as he goes. And few people thought this is how God's kingdom would begin. But, I mean, that's the thing about a seed, right? A, a seed has within it a, a disposition to grow. Uh, Matthew Henry says a grain of mustard seed is small, but however, it is a seed and has its disposition, its disposition to grow. That's the point. It's not about a big start or a big flash. It's about the disposition to grow. And the thing that makes us grow is the Spirit of God within us and around us, and working through us. That's the disposition to grow. It's not about your hustle. It's not about your drive. It's not about you working harder to get the things that you want or that you think that God wants. It's about allowing ourselves to listen to what God wants to do, to move when God says move, to see the world the way God sees the world. It's about creating space for that seed of the Spirit to grow our lives and our faith. And so, as we think about how God changes the world, we think about how from that single mustard seed, birds were able to find a place to rest, right? How the seed offers itself for someone else, how it can become a nest and a home for that family. We think about how a seed can produce fruit that nourishes both people and animals. Back then, it could produce something essential for living like olive oil, and it can reproduce. A seed has the ability within itself to grow and to make new seeds. I mean, let your mind wander with this story. Let the parable of the mustard seed take root in you. Turn it over and think on it. 
That's the point of these kind of stories. To see the way that God's ecosystem is at work in the world, the way that we're called to serve one another, the way that we are called to reproduce more followers of Jesus, the way that we're called to see the systems of the world that you and I know are broken and that everyone else does too and work for change. I mean, I've been thinking this week, was it the stories that changed the world or, or was it the actions that took place after that? And I think it's both. I don't think we should understate the power of telling stories. And I think we should also think about the power of living those stories out. I think it's a both and. I think it's both of those things together. Telling stories that perhaps don't seem like the greatest stories in the world, like a mustard seed, and finding ways to live those out. So the question I have for us this week to reflect on is a personal one first. What small seeds or stories are you scattering? What are the stories that you're telling your children? Are they stories that can rest in their heart and their soul and and take shape and take root? Bible stories are wonderful for that. What are the stories you're telling on, on Facebook or through your social media? Are they seeds that you're scattering that can challenge the way we see the world? How can we tell the story of God in a compelling way? And the good news is we don't have to make it up. We don't have to know everything about all these books. Think about what Jesus did with two verses in Matthew. The one verse that's next about yeast. The second question I want you to reflect on is what seeds are you allowing to be planted in you? Our faith is about what we do, but it's also about who we are. Again, it's both. What are the seeds that you're allowing to be planted within yourself? And I confess, in this time, in this season, I've spent a lot of time on Facebook because I want to know what's happening and how people are responding and what's happening next and what's changing. But sometimes I wonder, what are those seeds planting in me? Is it, is it more anxiety? And, and to what extent am I allowing the seeds that God has given us to shape my perspectives and my action in the world? And so, of course, in the scriptures and in the parables, seeds oftentimes represent the words of God, the words of Jesus, the scriptures. Seeds represent prayer. They represent us setting apart specific time to draw near to God. And the ways that we can do that are vast and unique. Again, allow the Spirit of God in you to speak to you about how you can plant some new seeds. Thanks for listening. Make sure to visit our website, citruschurch.org. If you found refreshments in this message, share it with a friend. And hey, God loves you.